Well, good morning, everyone. Let's uh, go ahead and get started this morning. Glad to see you. Glad you were able to get out of your driveways and down the road and to where you belong today. Although the highway is in great shape, isn't it? You guys didn't say anything about that. That's not necessarily true. Yes. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together today. We thank you for your love and your grace. And we do pray, Lord, that you would watch over those that are traveling even now or later for the service, that you would bless and encourage them and keep them safe on the roads. We thank you for the provisions of life, and that includes the moisture that you give us. And, Lord, we, uh, we are thankful for that. We thank you that that you are a God who is concerned about all the things that we are concerned about in life. We just pray that you would bless our classes as they gather together this morning, that um, the word of God would go forth in a powerful, mighty, and uh, proper, effective way, and that you would be glorified because of it. We just pray that you'd be our teacher as we um, study today and that you would teach the students and that you would, it just would, it would resonate with all of us that you are a God who loves us in remarkable ways, and you show it and you prove it over and over again. We thank you for that. We look forward to the day before us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does everybody have a handout? Does everybody not have a handout? Okay. I thought that I would give these to you so that it came up a couple uh, last week or so about when, who did what, and so... We went on the handy-dandy internet. Actually, I sent my wife on a mission, and this is what she came up with. And uh, so this was the best one because they have cool little faces. So I liked it. What we have here is a list of the kings and the prophets that you have in the Bible. It starts off with the king of Israel, the kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon. They were the kings of the United Kingdom when the kingdom was together, all right? And it has the years that they ruled in there. Then you have the kingdom divided, all right? And, um, and you have what is called the northern kingdom and the southern, or northern and Judah, or Israel and Judah. And so you have the two kingdoms divided, and you can see that they go, and then you can see the list of kings that went on um, with each one of those uh, kingdoms. Now, as I said last week, the northern kingdom um, ended, and you can see that here, that it kind of, it kind of ended real um, on the the southern kingdom, Judah, continued on, and it picked up again, and, and it's, you know, it's what we would call Israel in the New Testament. The northern one, um, those that became the northern tribes, they're the ones that kind of interspersed, and they're called the lost tribes of Israel as well. And they, inter they went to different places, and they intermarried, and, and they became, you know, this, this lost group, if you will, and, and ceased being a nation eventually, in effect. And so you can see that. So, one of the things that, that is interesting about this is that you do have all of the different kings from the Bible, and you can read all that and study all that. Then you have the prophets, and what you have on this particular sheet are the prophets that are in the Bible. Um, excuse me, the prophets that wrote, that have books with their names on them. Um, there are other prophets that did different things um, that didn't have books. They're not on here. These are talking about the books of the Bible, what we call the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets and the minor prophets are named such because of why. Major prophets are what? 
longer. That's exactly it. That's it right there. So there's not, there's not a lot of science to that. The major prophets are longer. The minor prophets are shorter. That's all that it amounts to. It doesn't mean that their messages weren't important and significant and worthwhile. All right? So as you can see this then, what goes on is the time, the years go down the middle, and so now you can see that Obadiah and Joel, well, they were, they were you know, contemporaries of one another. They would have, but they were writing, Obadiah was writing to Israel or the northern kingdom. Uh, Joel was writing to Judah or the southern kingdom. Jonah was about Israel. Amos was about Israel. Hosea was about Israel. Nahum was about Israel. And then all the other ones, their message was by and large to the nation of Judah, okay, to the southern kingdom. And so you can see the difference there, and you can see where they all fall. And so that's kind of an interesting thing. And, and, and just so I wanted you to have this just because so that we would have a little bit of an understanding of the prophets since we are going through them um, for a little while here so that you could kind of get a feel for these things. Now, if you would, if you would be an Old Testament um, a scholar and a, and a person that would read and study the Old Testament, you would go through and you'd see all these names of these kings in here and you could learn about them and you could see who, the, you know, what they did and, and so on and so forth. The vast majority of kings that are listed here were, were not good kings. They, they didn't do a good job. And the reason for that, as we've talked about this, is that when um, God said, are you sure you want a king? And they said, yeah, we're sure we want a king. He told them, okay, but there's going to be trouble because of that. These guys won't do the right thing because they are people and they're going to, they're going to have some real issues, all right? You're going to have issues with them. And so that's exactly what happened. Governments were established for the good of the people, for the welfare of the people, and so that God would, would get some praise. Governments have wandered from that, obviously, and we see that governments are very evil by and large today because they're run by people, Okay. And as people begin to do evil things, the next person that comes kind of builds upon that evil thing and so on and so forth. And so it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as time goes by. All right. So anyway, so I just wanted to have this. Give, I'll refer to this once in a while. You can fold it up, put it in your Bibles and keep it. And, and uh, you can, you know, do your thing with that and, and go from there. The other thing that I wanted to mention before we started today is I have had a few people um, say every once in a while, hey, I sure would appreciate a quarterly, and I haven't done much about that until just this week. And so I have changed that, and I'll be ordering student quarterlies from now on. Um, but I, what I'm going to do is, why don't you raise your hand and tell me how many would be interested in that to make sure that I order enough on a regular basis. So if you'd be interested in student quarterly, raise your hand. Oh, man, I didn't order nearly enough. I have to, I have to call the lady again. Keep your hands up so I can take count. I will, uh, so what will happen is from now on, starting in March, um, when we start our new quarter, I will have quarterlies available. Pick one up if you want one. I will order um, about 40 of them, and we'll have them, and you can pick one up and have one and do that. Now, um, you know, now I'm, I'm doing this, and so, you know, it's kind of like opening the curtain to the wizard, you know what I mean? I don't... I don't vary from the quarterly sometimes, all right? So you guys are going to have to understand that sometimes all I do is spit out what the quarterly says, all right? So I hope that that doesn't diminish me in, or, you know, you guys, you know, stop coming to Sunday school because I can read this at home in my jammies or something, all right? Still come, all right? I appreciate that. 
And welcome to Brian and Julie. You guys are in a, in a, a grown-up Sunday school class, huh? It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, all right. Okay, well, here it is. It's similar to yours. We use the same material. He, he spit out stuff from the quarterly, too, okay? It's what we do, right? That's <laughs> why we have the quarterly. <laughs> so anyway, so I've been a little hesitant because I don't want you guys to think that, you know, I'm not original in any way, shape, or form. So anyway, so I'll have those for next. So you don't get them this quarter, but I'll have them starting in March, and um, we'll make that happen. All right. Today, then, we're going to be talking about... Um, God pursuing, and that's kind of our theme for a little while here, God's pursuing the Ninevites. And so we're going to talk about Jonah today. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Romans, though, to begin with. Romans, Romans chapter 5. Have you guys noticed that we have started studying in our Bible, in our, um, Bible memory, in our sheets there, that we're going to, um, uh, we've been working on the Romans road. I, I referred to it a few times, and so we want to review or Maybe you're learning it for the first time, whatever it may be, but it's the Romans Road, and we want to make sure you get it. This is one of those verses from the Romans Road, um, Romans chapter 5, and it says this, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I want you to think about the process of when you were saved for a moment, and I want you to think about what happened when you were saved, and we have, we have thought about and and, and we, we got us to a point where we wanted us to think about our story and how we got saved and all of that. And, and, and much of what we told and much of what we thought about when we talked about our story was this is, this is how we responded to what God was doing in our lives. What I want you to think about now for a moment is what God was doing in your life before you responded. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The groundwork was done for what God was going to do in your life a long time ago, obviously. Okay? And then when you were unsaved, God began to do some things in your life. Maybe he placed people in your life. Maybe he placed you in a place. Maybe he had you go to an event. Maybe he um, had you hear different things. Maybe there was a friend. Different things went on in your life that brought you to the point where God was doing some work. And then you you understood that, you know what, God's at work here. There's something going on. And, and from, a, from a human perspective, we say then, well, we responded to what it is that was going on and what God was doing. My point in us thinking about that is that, as we're going to look at today, is that God is the God who pursues. God is the God that says, I want you. And as you read through the Bible and as you read through the Old Testament and read through these prophets, we see that come out over and over again, and I just want us to make sure that we understand that, that that's what God is doing. That's who God is. That's who he's always been, and, um, and he will always be that kind of a God, all right, that he, he pursues us. He says, I want you. I want you, and we belong to him, and that's a pretty cool thing. Now, the reason why that's significant, there's a couple of reasons, is that one is that that's a theological issue, okay, is that God is the sovereign God, and God is the one that determines those kinds of things. But the second thing is this, and this is just as important as the theological issue. If I understand that God pursued me, what does that do for me in my times of frustration or loneliness or um, wondering or questioning and things like that? What does it do for me if I understand that God's the one that pursued me? He hasn't given up. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't given up, certainly. Gives me hope. Gives me hope. Where are some others? 
I'm significant. What? It makes me important. Absolutely. That, that, that you matter. Okay? It, it, God, God said you. You matter. That's a big deal. And sometimes that's all I need in order to move forward. Is understanding that there's someone, and this someone is God, says you matter. Okay? We need that in our life, and God has provided that for us. So open your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Let me read to you a little bit from the quarterly, um, the introduction and the, and the summary that what we're going to study today. It says this, there is no more famous story of running away than that of Jonah. He was a prophet convinced of his own opinion and so opposed to God's direction that he sought to get as far away from the will and the reach of God as he could imagine. But this story is less about a man running from God and more about a God willing to pursue humanity and our disobedience. We tend to focus on the prophet when we tell the story of Jonah. The main, pro the main character in the book of Jonah is God himself. And that's true with a lot of stories. The vast majority of stories that we read in the Bible, it's so easy to make those characters the main part of the story. We need to always look beyond that and understand that almost always God's the main character in that story. What is God doing here? How is God working? Okay? While Jonah was vindictive, God was merciful. While Jonah ran away, God was pursuing. When Jonah was angry, God was forgiving. God was pursuing the wicked Ninevites, and he also pursued the disobedient prophet. And that's a pretty interesting thing. We see in this session how God goes to great lengths to pursue people, even when they have no interest in being found. God pursues sinners of all kinds in order to bring them to himself. Jonah was a prophet who re rejected God's call and ran away from his enemies. Unlike Jonah, Jesus, though, heard God's call and ran toward his enemies. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And that's a pretty big deal. A pretty big deal. So, one of the, the essential doctrine from this particular lesson is God's mercy. God's mercy. Mercy refers to God's compassion and is often expressed as withholding something. So in other words, God's grace is that I get something that I don't deserve. God's mercy is that I don't get something that I deserve. Okay? So what don't I give that I deserve? Death, punishment, hell. Okay? I don't get that. God's mercy is seen on that on a regular basis. So I want you to think for a while. We think about in terms of, of God, why aren't you doing certain things in my life? I'd like you to flip that and do your best for the next week or so to think when life goes on is think, God, thank you for not doing this. Thank you for withholding. Thank you for not treating me as I deserve. Thank you for not rewarding me as, you know, how, how it ought to be. Because, because we think in terms of I did ABC, therefore DEF should happen. But we very rarely think about what happens when I do, you know, HIJ. We never think about the consequences of that. We think it's, you know, I'm, I'm way better than that. I don't deserve to have those kinds of consequences. That's God's mercy. Okay? And we need to understand that God's mercy is one of the most amazing things. The Bible talks about his mercies are new every day. In other words, he never, never gets to a point where he says, you know what? You have messed up enough and you finally crossed my line. His mercy continues. Okay? It continues. And he never, never says enough 
Just like you can't do anything to earn God's grace, you can't do anything to earn God's mercy. It, these are gifts from him. God's grace and mercy, they're remarkable, wonderful things, all right? And people are deserving because of their sin. You and I are deserving because of our sin to face the consequences that God has laid out in Scripture. And his mercy and his grace has said that won't happen, okay? And that's a pretty amazing, wonderful thing, all right? So, in... In your Bibles, Jonah chapter 1, this is an incredibly short book. You know it pretty well. It's just these four chapters. We're going to read through the chapters, look at a couple of things, talk about a few things, and learn a couple of lessons from this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and he found a ship that was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried out to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and had fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So he said to them, What should we do to you so that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And they called on the Lord, and they said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on behalf of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. You know that story. You are quite aware of that story. So God wanted Jonah to do something, and he wanted Jonah to go and do a remarkably neat thing. And isn't it cool when God asks us to do things, and yet it wasn't so cool in Jonah's eyes that God had asked him to do this particular thing. Why is that? Because he had asked them to go to a leading city of the Assyrian Empire, to Nineveh, and go and tell them the good news. Go and tell them that they need to repent and turn to me. Go and, and preach to them was his message. This was a city that had 120,000 people beyond and way beyond that, all right? Okay? This was a chance for Jonah to go and to make quite an impact for his God. But he didn't go and he didn't do it because he knew who God was. And what was the, the problem? He didn't want to go to the Assyrians because of why? He didn't want to go to Nineveh because of why? Okay, they were 
heathens, what did you say the first one was? Gentiles, heathens, what else? He knew they were, they were going to save him because he knows his compassion. He knew God. What else was the issue with Jonah? He was afraid of him. There was another issue. He hated him. There we go. He hated him. It wasn't just that they were Gentiles. He hated him. He hated him. Okay? God said, go to these people that have abused the bullies on the block and go and tell them about me. I don't want to do that, God. I don't want to do that. Okay? You know, we don't get to make that decision in life, do we? When we put ourselves in a position and say, God, what is it that you'd have me to do for you? We don't then get to debate with him when he says, do this. So one of the problems and one of the reasons why people many times don't put themselves in a position of saying, God, what do you want me to do for, that, for you? Is that they are afraid of what the answer might be. Sometimes the answer is hard. Jonah, I would love it if you would do something for me. There's a group of people I want you to tell about me. You bet, God. These are the worst people on earth as far as you're concerned. Go tell them about me. Well, no, God, I don't want to. And why, in effect, didn't Jonah want to tell his enemies about God? Because in our flesh, what do we want for our enemies? We want them to be destroyed. We want them to pay. They're bad, rotten, horrible people. That's exactly right. You read that in, in the Psalms with David, right? You read that, that David has some very graphic illustrations once in a while and descriptions of what he would like God to do to his enemies. And then he always says, no, no, hold on, no, no. Okay? That's exactly the problem. I don't want my enemies to know you. I want them to pay for their foolishness, pay for their sin, pay for their, their, their rotten behavior. And I don't want to go to them. They're the enemy. I don't want to do that. Okay? And that's a big deal. That's a big deal, isn't it? And all of us in this room understand that. We all grew up understanding that there was a clear line in this world, didn't we? We knew who our enemies were. It was easier, it seemed, years ago. Today, it's very confusing. Years ago, we understood that, you know? It was, it was the USA, we're the good guys, and the Soviet Union were the bad guys, and people associated with us were the good guys, and people associated with them were the bad guys. And, you know, it was, it, that was kind of the world that we lived in, isn't it? And, and boy, things have changed a lot. But, but, but if you're like me, we had certain feelings about our enemies, national feelings about, eh, you know, and now the gospel is going all around the world to all of those other countries, and Jesus Christ is being proclaimed, and people are being saved, and churches are being planted, and all sorts of remarkable, wonderful things are happening all over the world. So we understand what that's like, and you might understand what that's like right now with some people. Maybe it's some individuals. Maybe it's a group of people, whatever it is. Maybe there's people that you've lived in this area for a really, really long time, and there's just certain people that are just have been your enemies forever. And you just, okay? And the problem with that, of course, is, is that God has said to those who belong to him, what is our, one of our basic responsibilities in life? Love our enemies. Go and tell. Shine for him. That's exactly right. That is one of our basic things. One of the basic things that needs to happen. Okay? That's what God has said. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. We have to get rid of our prejudices, and we have to get rid of our feelings, and we have to get rid of our fears, and we have to get rid of uh, those other things because we understand that my sin is no different than their sin. 
We have to come to grips with that. And that's a hard thing to come to grips with, isn't it? I'm willing to admit I'm a sinner, and you're probably willing to admit you're a sinner. But I want to say that I'm an okay sinner. I'm not a really bad, on the line of life, I'm not bad. I'm, I'm pretty close to, you know, right? We don't really like saying that, that we're all in one big boat, and that one big boat is sin, okay? It's called the depravity, depravity of man. We're all in the same boat. Without Jesus Christ, we're all the same. How many sins does it take? How many sins does it take? One. One. So we have to come to grips with the fact that, that my sin is just as ugly to God as everybody else's sin is ugly to God. And we need to stop looking at this from a human perspective and look at it from a divine perspective. Well, Jonah hadn't got there yet. And so God said, I want you to go do this. And what did he do? He left. He went a different direction. You need to understand that Jonah was here, and he needed to go here, and he got on a boat that was going there. All right? He went in the opposite direction that he was supposed to go. The opposite direction. And so what we learn from the book of Jonah here is that God did not just shrug his shoulders and say, okay, whatever. Jonah doesn't want to do it. Jonah will move on. Okay? That's not what God wanted to do. God wanted to teach Jonah, and he wanted to teach the rest of us who would read this book forever and ever and ever, that, you know what? I'm a God who pursues people that are even irked with the way I'm working in life. And that's all it was right here, wasn't it? Jonah was irked at the way God was working in life. God, don't cross that line. Don't be gracious to those people, okay? As Kim said a moment ago, Jonah knew that God's graciousness was so big and so overwhelming that He's going to do something nice for those people. I don't want that. And so he left and he did that. So it's interesting what he said was he, he went down and he fled and he wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. And so we find one of Jonah's major mistakes was, yeah, you can't run away from God because by the time you get to wherever you're going, who's there? Yeah, you can't run away from God. So that, so that was one of his major mistakes is I'm going to get away from the presence of God I'm going to move locations, and it'll be better. Well, here's what's interesting. He got on a ship, and he was about to go way over here. He got on a ship, and it says that there was a great storm, and so bad that the ship was about to break up. So you need to imagine whatever you need to imagine to imagine how bad it was that this, this ship was in this storm, and it was so bad that they were going to throw cargo over, and they, wanted to, they needed to do a bunch of things because the ship was about to go down. All right? So it was that bad. And so what happened was they asked him because he was sleeping and didn't have a care in the world apparently. And, and so as was the thing in that day, call on your God. We're not calling on our gods. You call on your God. We'll see if one of the gods eventually can respond to us and help us out because we know that all of this is here because of some bad, terrible thing that is going on. Now that's not a theological thing you can bank on, right? Okay. Sometimes storms happen because God is doing this, and sometimes storms happen because storms happen. But it's not necessarily because somebody is doing something wrong here. But in this particular case, indeed, God sent this storm to get Jonah. There's no doubt about that. All right? So here's what's fascinating. And, and imagine that you have, you have run from God. I don't care why. You have run from God. 
You've turned your back on God for a little while. You have decided that you're going to do something different. You're, gonna, you're, you're not going to do that. And, and some sort of calamity happens or some sort of bad thing happens or some sort of incident takes place. Whatever it is, I don't care. You have walked away from God. Something goes on like it did with Jonah. And so it's interesting that in verse 8, they said to him, Tell us, who are you? Where are you from? What's going on here? And in verse 9, Jonah says this, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He had to fess up. I believe in the real God. Well, this isn't a good way to show it, is it? Okay? He wasn't really living the way he should have lived as a person who said, I believe in the real God. Because later on it says that they knew exactly what the story was here. And so he would have told them, you see, the deal is God wanted me to do this, and I didn't want to do that. And so I got on your ship, and I came here, and that's the reason why you're facing all this trouble, and you're about to die, possibly, because I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. Isn't it something that many times when we make that decision to not obey God, not walk with God, and not be who we ought to be and where we ought to be with the Lord, Things go on, and many times we end up having to deal with whatever went on, and we find ourselves right back here anyway. Okay? And that's what was going to happen with Jonah. He went through all that heartache, and he was right back there. Isn't that how it is with us? We go through all that heartache, and we're right back here. Instead of trusting God to begin with, as Jonah should have. So... What happened was, he told them what was going on. It says in verse 10, the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. He had to stand up, and sometimes when we cross those lines, we have to stand up and say, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, and I know that that's wrong behavior, and I need to ask your forgiveness for that. We harm our testimony, and we harm God's testimony, and we do a lot of, a lot of harm to what it is that God's trying to accomplish on this earth when we go down that path, all right? And as I said, we end up right back where we were anyway. That's exactly what happened with Jonah right here. How could you do this? So Jonah's response was, and this is really interesting, Jonah's response was what? Throw me into the sea and it'll end. So where was Jonah's heart still? Huh? Yeah, but... His heart was what? He'd rather die than go to the Ninevites. That's exactly right. I am not going to go tell those people about you. That's exactly right. What is fascinating is that Jonah did not say, let me spend a little time with God and I see if we can deal with this real quick. <laughs> Maybe the storm will calm itself. Let, let me talk to God. He didn't do that. He said, this is who I am, and this is why I'm here, and this is why this storm is raging. So why don't you just throw me overboard, get it over with, and we'll be done. Okay? So what Jonah hadn't learned at this point, that one of the things that we need to learn, is that God is the God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and 888th chances, and 4,321 chances, and I suppose... 22,848,275 chances, right? That's who he is. 
God says you belong to me, we can deal with this. We can work this out. You are never, 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 never too far. You're never out of God's reach. And you're never at a point where God says, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Never. And Jonah, I don't know if he understood that quite yet. Throw me into the sea because I don't want to go to the Ninevites. I don't want to go to the Ninevites. You know what, folks? Sometimes we're better off saying, Lord, what does he want me to do and just doing it? Just doing it and doing what it is that God would have us to do. So we have that he's there. He knew the character of God. He knew what was going to happen. He knew all of these things. And he said, you know what? But I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of it. All right. So they did throw him over, but they were incredibly careful. It, here's an interesting thing. These heathens on this boat had more concern and fear of God than Jonah did. Lord, don't hold this against us. We're about to kill a man who belongs to you. So they threw him overboard. They picked up Jonah. They threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Okay, excellent. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Okay, cool thing, right? God's glory was seen. And one of the things that's really interesting is in spite of our obedience or disobedience, God's glory is going to be seen, isn't it? Over and over again. It's just a lot better as believers if we'd go ahead and cooperate with him and work with him anyway. God's doing his work. Go along with him. Stop, stop going upstream constantly. Go with God. Do God's work. Okay? Well, it says in verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. And so... You guys know what happened here, and, and so pff, this great fish came along and swallowed Jonah. We have found massive animals large enough to do that without any problem at all. That's, that's no, no sweat. And so then it says in chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from God to, excuse me, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. Well, it's about time, Jonah. Okay. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried from help from the depth of, depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and your breakers and your billows passed over me. So I said, I have expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain isles forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I vowed, I will pay. And so in effect, what happened was simply this. The God of, of the second chances gave Jonah a second chance, okay? And Jonah, in the midst of about to die here, called out to the Lord. I'm weighing over my head. This is a terrible situation, all of those different things. I have seen you in the past. I know who you are. I, I want to do what you want me to do, God. I don't want to die. That's, in effect, what his prayer was here, okay? I don't want to die. I will do what you want me to do, okay? And how amazing is it that God said, okay. Wouldn't you think that, that, that after chapter 1, God would have said, clearly, you aren't worth my time. 
you're done. And moved on to a more willing prophet. Okay? See, in our humanity, I think that we probably think that. But aren't you glad that God doesn't work that way? Because if God would have worked that way with Jonah, how might he have worked with you once or twice? Maybe the same way. He might have said, really? Again? Seriously? I am done with you. Well, let's move on to someone else. God does not do that. You need to believe that. If you belong to Jesus Christ as your Savior, God does not do that. God does not ever say to you, you're too much trouble. God will never say to you, you've crossed that line and I'm not going to use you anymore. God, the Bible says that if you do live in a lifestyle of sin over and over and over again, then yep, eventually God may say, you know what, enough, i got to bring you home. But with, other than that rare exception, God says, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Okay? How many times, how many times in your life did you have to correct your children? How many? And you get tired because that's one of the phrases we use as parents use all the time, isn't it? How many times have I told you this? But we never quit telling them, do we? God's the same way, except his love for us is way bigger than our love for our children. God never will do that. Listen, I don't care where you are today, and I don't care what's going on in your life today, and I don't care where you've been and where, what's going on and, and how bad and low and those kinds of things. God's not done with you. If you belong to God, it's as simple as what Jonah did. And, and in effect, what is it that Jonah did? He repented. He confessed and repented. That's what he did. That's what he did. That same formula holds today. I confess and I repent. And the blood of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the love and the compassion and the grace and the mercy of God are so overwhelming and so large that when we who belong to Jesus Christ confess and repent, God says, okay, let's move on. Isn't that something? A biblical truth. That's one of those things that we need to accept by faith and not by sight, isn't it? We need to accept that by faith, that indeed that's what God does. That's exactly what happens, and that's what happened right here. Well, let's go on to chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and said, okay, excellent, nice. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Before, by the way, he didn't have that, go and tell him what I'm going to tell you. So God's kind of, you know, I need to tell you what you're going to say. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a exceeding great city, a three days walk. And as I said earlier, it was really big, 120,000 plus, and we'll see that. Then Jonah began to go through the city in one day's walk, and he cried out, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from his violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. 
when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Hallelujah. This is one of the greatest revivals in the history of life, apparently, is that he went through and he went to this city, and there was well over 120,000 people in this town. And, not Nineveh be, and Jonah began to preach, and the people repented, and the king repented, and he made a declaration, and people turned to God, and Jonah would have been the guy who could have been in their midst and taught them about God and said, excellent, here's what you do next. And chapter 4, verse 1 says, but it greatly displeased Jonah. I hate it. I just hate it when other people love God. Don't you just hate it when other people love God? That's exactly what Jonah's problem was. These people now love God. Nuts. I knew I shouldn't have come here. What an amazing thing. His hatred and his prejudice was so deep that the thing greatly displeased jo Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? I knew you'd do this. I knew, I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you were merciful. I knew that you were good. I knew you'd save these people. I knew you would spare them. And God, I'm telling you, I lived, I've lived around these parts for a long time. And if there was ever people that were worthy of your destruction, it's them. I knew you would be nice to them. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. I knew you'd be nice to them. And God, I'm really irked at you right now because you were. <laughs> is this the dumbest thing? And yet, isn't that how it is with us? Our prejudices are so deep. What's one of the basic verses in the New Testament that we need to embrace and you need to cherish and you need to love with all of your heart? It is this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that is so hard for us sometimes because we think, what, what is your problem? Shape up. You shouldn't be weeping over that. And uh, uh, what, I'm not going to rejoice with you. How come that good stuff happened to you and it didn't happen to me? One of the basic verses in life that can help change our life is rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It will change you if you will actually approach life that way. It really will. When people are frustrated and down, be sympathetic with them. Be compassionate for them. Love them for the sake that they're going through this thing. I don't care that it doesn't matter to you. And when people are rejoicing, rejoice with them in what God is doing in their life. And, and, and because we struggle with that verse so much, I can say this. We're not very far away from Jonah. So he said, Lord, I knew that this would happen. Verse 3. Therefore now, Lord, take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. <laughs> Honestly, I, I hate these people so much that if they're going to love you and you're not going to destroy them, then just kill me right now. And if I'm God, done. Jonah. But I'm not God. And so God, God, said, God said this. There's a lesson for you to learn here, Jonah. Do you have good reason to be angry, God says? Do you have good reason to be angry? Jonah went out from the city east of it, and there he made a shelter for himself and sat under the, in the shade until he could see what would happen behind him in the city. So God the Lord God appointed a plant to grow up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. 
And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Look, cool. I got some shade now. I got this plant. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful thing? But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all the soul to die, saying death is better than life. So he was in a terrible spot because this plant died and his shelter was gone now and he was sitting there throwing a pity party and a temper tantrum and he wasn't going anywhere and he said it's better for me to die. And then God said to Jonah in verse 9, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason. You're not a kitten. The plant was here and it comforted me and it was a good thing and now it's gone. You're not a kid and I have a right to be angry. I'm so angry. I'm so mad. I'm ready to die. And the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which thing came overnight, came up overnight and perished overnight. You had compassion on that plant because it did something good for you. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand as well as many animals? Jonah, you, you care more about plants than you do about people? You, you care more about this thing that was given to you freely that you didn't earn, you didn't work, you didn't do anything you don't deserve? You care about that far more than you do about the people, the souls in life? Here's the fascinating thing, and, and here's what we need to come to grips with. The Ninevites, the Assyrians, deserved to be punished. There was no question about that. No question about that. This, this was a horrible, horrible people. They deserved to be punished. Jonah very well could have had some personal experience about how bad they were in life. They deserved to be punished. And so did Jonah. And so do I. And so do you. But God's graciousness, God's mercy, says, nope, you're mine. You're mine. You belong to me. I want you. God's love and God's grace extends beyond us. And it's a pretty important lesson here that we understand that it's the lesson that is taught in, in Matthew with Peter that because of God's great grace, because of God's great forgiveness being bestowed upon us, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Do the same thing. Go bestow it upon somebody else. Why do I forgive? Because I've been forgiven. And never let that be anything but your reason. Okay? Because if we say I forgive because that person deserves forgiveness, eventually we'll run into a person or a group of people that don't deserve forgiveness, and therefore we're going to feel justified in not forgiving. The reason why we forgive, it says in Ephesians and in Colossians, is because we've been forgiven. And Matthew, because we've been forgiven. Therefore, forgive. Because we've been forgiven, you forgive. Okay? That's what the Bible teaches us. I want to do one more thing and then we're gone. We're, we're running just a tad late. But turn with me to Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 12. And I apologize for going a little over, but... Uh, I want to make sure I get this in. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 
verse number 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign shall be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I wanted to go to that uh, passage of Scripture to say this. Jesus said that Jonah was a historical figure. Jesus said that Jonah was in the belly of a great sea uh, monster, a mighty large fish of some sort for three days and three nights. It did happen. Jesus verified that it happened. Okay? And if we cannot trust that Jesus, if we cannot trust Jesus' words in that particular passage of Scripture, then you can't trust Jesus' words anywhere else. So I wanted to point that out. There's a lot of people that say, come on. Those old stories in the Old Testament, they're impossible. They can't be true. Jesus said it was true. Okay? And one of the reasons why it was true, it was a sign pointing to what would happen with the Messiah one day. Okay? God's a gracious, wonderful God. Both to us and others. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. And I just pray that you would convict us and grow us and use this lesson in our life for your glory. We pray in, in your name. Amen.